part three of our study on the mystery of iniquity. And we're going to look at where we are a little bit deeper. And we're going to start in, of course, Matthew 24 and 6, which is where Jesus gave a briefing to his disciples. In Matthew 24 and 6, he said, He shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that he be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. The beginnings of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And he shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Verse 10. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Amen. So we know that in the end we win. If everything is not okay, as I put, it's not okay, it's not yet the end, because in the end, we win. And the end shall come once this gospel of the kingdom has been preached into all nations. Now, I want to focus on something that is quite interesting, a parallel that Satan has done or is going to try and do in his relationship with the people that follow him. And first of I'm going to show you this this relationship in the church because there are three things that seal us or identify us to Christ. Of course, there are three things that identify us and seal us to Christ. You know, in Acts chapter 2 starting at verse 38, after Peter had preached the Pentecostal message of the fact that Jesus had come and they had crucified him, they asked him what they should do to be saved. And if you analyze what his response is, it comes down to three things. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And he shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So the first thing that brings us to Christ of the three things is repentance. And that is a spiritual acknowledgement. It's a spiritual acknowledgement. It's something that is internal. You can't see it but it will manifest in our behavior and in our actions. And then there is physical baptism, which is a physical identification with the name of our Savior. It's a physical identification with his death and 
burial. That's the second thing. And then the third thing, of course, is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that is the sealing of our soul. That is said in Ephesians chapter 6. So there are three things that tie us to Christ, that identify us to Christ. First, the repentance, which is a spiritual acknowledgement of our need and our belief and our acknowledgement of our need to change and to turn around. Then there is the physical commitment and identification through baptism, which is a physical act in which we make a covenant. We take on the name of our Savior. And the salvation effect is the washing away of our sins. And then for the soul, God gives us his Holy Spirit, which seals the soul. The baptism is for the cleansing of the flesh. The spirit is for the sealing of the soul. Now, we see that Satan likes to counterfeit everything that God does. And this is the same uh, principle that he uses during the tribulation. And the reason why I went through these three things. Let's look at this. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 16, it gives us what are the things that are going to happen during the tribulation to seal or to mark people for Satan. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark, that's one thing, the name of the beast, that's two things, or the number of his name. Now we're going to look at those three things because, as I said, there are three things that seal us to Christ. Repentance, a spiritual acknowledgement, baptism, a physical acknowledgement, and then the sealing of our soul, the receipt, so to speak, the earnest, the deposit on the house, so to speak, that comes from God in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now let's see what Satan's plan is during the tribulation for having his people be identified. Well, we have the mark, the name of the beast, and the number of his name. So again, verse 16 of chapter 13 says, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. That's the identification and the control that is going to come forth based upon those identifying marks. And so that's a physical manifestation, the marking of the body. It's his way of marking physical possession of the body. Just as when we are baptized, that's a physical thing in that we are buried with him in, by, in baptism, the scripture says, so that we can also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So there's a physical manifestation with the, with the Antichrist, with the beast, in the marking of the body. Revelation 13.1 explains this. It says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast... Rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Remember, the second thing is the name of the beast. Just as how when we go down in the baptism, we take on Jesus' name, the thing that's going to identify his believers is the name of 
of the beast, the name of blasphemy. Um, John, in his vision of Revelation, saw, in fact, three, three creatures. We saw the beast from the sea, and they were going to look about the beast from the earth, and then the image. So there were three things. And so the name of the beast is a parallel. It's a spiritual acknowledgement. It's a spiritual acknowledgement. Who would willingly do that? But that's what's going to happen. They're, they're going to worship the dragon. And then the last thing is the mark itself of possession. Remember, we are sealed with the Spirit. We are sealed with the Spirit. And Satan is going to seal his believers with Spirit. Let's look at that. In the example where Jesus crossed over the sea of Galilee and he met this demon-possessed man who had multiple demons in it. In Mark chapter 5, verse 9, we are given a revelation as to what this sealing, this third part of the sealing uh, to the beast is. And he asked him, what is thy name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. And in previous Bible studies, we've gone into depth about this, but a legion uh, in the time of Jesus was roughly around 6,000 Roman soldiers, and they were divided uh, by 10, so they were divided into cohorts of 600, and each of the 600 uh, were six centuries of over which a centurion was in charge. And you see that what he is identifying is actually the mark of possession, the sealing of his soul, so to speak, the identification of possession. So you can see how clearly what we do as Christians, the repentance, the baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost is mimicked, is copied during the tribulation time by the Antichrist and by Satan through the mark, the name of the beast, and the number of his name, which is going to be the sealing to Satan and really represents damnation of the soul. Now, how is this going to come about? Well, this person we call the Antichrist that the Bible uh, speaks about is going to, again, be a copy, a, 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 a copy of what Jesus came to do. He's going to portray himself as the Messiah. So let's start with the true Messiah. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7, speaking about Jesus, he said, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Hebrews 2.16 repeats that. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Hebrews 2.17 goes on. Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren. What the Bible is telling us, for our salvation, Jesus had to come as a man because dominion was given to men. An angel could not have saved us. It had to be a man, but he sought all through the Old Testament. In Ezekiel, it says he sought for a man to stand in the gap. And there were many great men, many wonderful men, but they all had faults and failures. There was no perfect, sinful, sinless man. And so he had to come himself. Wherefore, in all things, it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation 
for the sins of the people. And 1 Timothy 3.16 explicitly reveals who this is. And without controversy, in other words, without argument, great is the mystery of godliness. Yes, it is a mystery how God could manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit. He was justified in the spirit when he came out of the water. And the Bible said that there appeared a dove like the spirit appeared like a dove and came and sat upon his head. Seen of angels. After he was tempted, the Bible says in Luke 4 that the angels came and ministered unto him, preached unto the Gentiles. He went about to the city of the Samaritans and he preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world. And then finally, he was received up on into glory. That was what happened in the incarnation. God incarnated in a human body. And so you understand because Satan is trying to duplicate that. That's exactly what the Bible is pointing to for the nature of the Antichrist. He is going to try and incorporate himself into a human body. We saw this before. John 13, 27. At the table before Jesus was arrested and betrayed, we see that Satan personally possessed Judas. John 13, 27. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus said unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. John 17, 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. This is Jesus praying before uh, he's arrested. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition. He was speaking, of course, of Judas. That the scripture might be fulfilled. So Paul now, in Second Thessalonians, is explaining to the Thessalonian church the timing of the rapture, the timing of the revelation of who this Antichrist figure is. And he is saying, let no one deceive you by any means. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, for that day shall not come, and he's speaking of the rapture, except there come a falling away first. Falling away from what? Well, from the truth. It also means a rebellion. And that the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. He calls him the same name as Jesus called Judas once he had been personally possessed. That gives us a clue to the nature of the Antichrist. Jesus was God and man. The Antichrist is going to be man and Satan. Man and Satan. This, of course, is a duplication of what Satan and the fallen beings tried to do before, before the flood. In Genesis 6-4 we read, And there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that. After what? Well, after the flood. How could there be giants or mutations after the flood if everyone was killed except Noah and his family? Well, what it is telling us is that there was interference. When the sons of God who are referred to in the Old Testament as angels, came in unto the daughters of men. They bare children to them. The same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And in that word in the Hebrew there is Shem, men of a name. In other words, a new name, a new genus, a new species. And this is what Satan is planning to do so that he can entangle himself with the seed of men 
to escape judgment. We see that in Daniel's vision of the statue. When it gets down to the toes, we see that there's a mixture there of clay mixed with iron. It says in Daniel chapter uh, um, 2, verse 42, that they shall seek to entangle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not be able to mix. See, that has been Satan's plan to avoid destruction. Daniel chapter 12, verse 11 The last three chapters of Daniel, Daniel is given a revelation of end times. The last chapter culminating into the times that we are now fast approaching, read this way. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be 2,290 days. What is Daniel talking about? What is that? Daniel is talking about the last three and a half years, roughly, of the tribulation. What he is talking about is the personal possession, which God calls an abomination. An abomination. He's talking about the personal possession of a human vessel by beings, by Satan. This scripture, Daniel 12, 11, was not fulfilled even at the time of Christ. Why? Because Jesus points to it for as a future fulfillment. In Mark 13, 14, he refers back to the prophecy of Daniel. He says, but when you shall see the abomination of desolation, he's talking about what happened in Genesis, which caused the flood, which caused the desolation of the flood. And it was the abomination of fallen beings procreating with men that caused God to decide to start again, to wipe out all of those beings. But they didn't give up. They started it again after the flood. This time, God decided that he would let the tares and the wheat grow together until the time of harvest. And so this is a future fulfillment as predicted both by Daniel and then referenced again by Jesus in Mark 13, 14. He says, But when he shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not. What is he talking about? What he's talking about is the possession or the hybridization of a human body. Standing in a place where it should not be. And, of course, it's a mystery. It says, let him that readeth understand. Not everybody is going to understand what it's speaking about or what is happening. Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. If you are here to see who the Antichrist really is, you're in a world of hurt. Let him that readeth understand. Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Because Satan, his final plan is to... Uh, take possession of this earth. And he knows that only a human being can do that. That's why God came as a man. He too wants to take a human vessel so that he can possess this planet. The abomination that caused desolation of the flood. That's what Jesus is hinting at. And that's what Satan is going to do. And there's so many passages in Scripture that give us that hint. As I said, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 42, it says, they shall seek, they shall seek 
to intertwine themselves with the seed of men. That means that they cannot be men. And so we are living in times when all of these uh, cloning and DNA uh, experiments are going on. Even as we speak, I am sure we would be surprised of what is already happening. Now, the Bible makes it plain that he's going to stand in a place that he ought not. Second Thessalonians 2, 3. Let's go a little bit deeper. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. What is the falling away from? Well, it's from truth. I've been hearing so much scary stuff from people who are supposed to be Christians about Israel. They're falling away from truth. It's called replacement theology where people believe, and it really is hidden anti-Semitism, that Israel has been replaced. No, Israel has not been replaced. There's all kinds of false doctrine where if it were possible, the Bible says even the very elect would be deceived. It says, except there come a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, the same name that Jesus called Judas, who exalt, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now many people get mixed up with this phrase and because of this verse they think that the sign of his coming will be that there has to be a temple built. And what they misunderstand is that now... We are the temple. It's speaking about possession of a human vessel, a temple. Jesus himself said, destroy this temple and in three days I can raise it back up. And so people are looking and are deceived or are lulled into um, a sense of, well, it's not yet because the temple must be built. There is no temple. Well, when we look at it a little bit deeper, we will clearly see that he wasn't necessarily referring to a physical temple. Mark fourteen fifty eight, We heard say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. See, in the New Testament, we find through progressive revelation that we no longer worship the ark because now we are the temple of God. Similar, Satan is going to try and take over or make a body in order to copy or simulate what Jesus did. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So what the scripture is saying, when you see him stand in the holy place, in the naos in the Greek, it refers to a fleshly body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 repeats it and says, Know ye not that your body is the temple? And it uses the very same word, naos, that is used about the Antichrist of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God. Ye are not your own. So when it's speaking of the temple in verse 4 in 2 Thessalonians, it uses the same word that is used for the bodily temple, naos. So the abomination of desolation is the spirit possession where it ought not to be in a human body. It's the wrong sign. In fact, 
the scripture clearly tells us who builds the next temple. Amos 9.11 says, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen down. Who is that I? That's God. That's not humans. And close up the breaches thereof. I will raise up his ruins. I will build it as in the days of old. Acts 15.16, James at the first church council quotes this scripture. He quotes this scripture as they're deciding what to teach the Gentiles. He's quoting from Amos. After this, I will return. Who is the one returning? It's Jesus Christ. I will return. I will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. Zechariah 6.12, And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch. That is a messianic title for Jesus. And he shall grow up out of this palace, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. In fact, that's what Jesus said. Destroy this temple, and after three days I will raise it up. So those who are waiting for the sign of a red heifer and all of those other things, I think you're going to be waiting a while because it's deception that Satan is planning on. 1 John 4.3 And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. Wherefore, I've heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Well, what is the deception? Well, there are several going about. There are several of them going about. One is that in the end, everybody is saved. It's called a doctrine of universalism. Secondly, the one I mentioned before, it's called replacement theology, that somehow we are now spiritual Israel, which we are. We are the grafted-in olive branch. But Paul makes it clear in Romans 11 and 12 that Israel was the natural olive tree. And if we can blossom so much more they when they are brought in and when they understand who it is they have crucified. So there is going to be a lot of deception. It is that deception that starts to explain what is going on in the book of Jude where Jude mentions something kind of strange that's going on. Let's look at it. In Jude chapter 1, verse 9, he speaks about Michael, the archangel, fighting with the devil over the body of Moses. Now that sounds totally weird. Why would Satan want the body of Moses? Why indeed? Well, Jesus came back from the dead. The Jews are expecting a prophet. Moses told them that God, in Deuteronomy, God was going to raise up a prophet like unto him. Orthodox Jews believe that there are several people coming back. There is a a Messiah-like person that's going to reign like David, but there's also a prophet person like Moses. And no doubt Satan is going to try and use these beliefs for deception. He is trying to fight Michael over the body of Moses. In fact, when John the Baptist was preaching, that's one of the things that the leaders at Jerusalem sent the Pharisees out to ask him. Are you the prophet? Are you the prophet? Because we find these three characters again in the end times spoken of in Revelation. 
Deuteronomy 18.15 The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me. Unto him shall he hearken. So just like um, in the 6th century when Muhammad was founding Islam, he first went to the Jews. There were uh, at least a couple tribes of Jews living in Saudi Arabia and he presented to them that he was their Messiah. Of course, when they did not accept him, he made war and destroyed them. See, because the Jews are looking for a prophet. He claimed to be that prophet. God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee. So there are going to be three characters, again, all counterfeit that Satan brings to pass during the time of the tribulation. The three, I call it, that are not one. The beast from the sea. We find that in Revelation 13.1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw beasts rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns ten crowns. And upon his head the name of blasphemy. We read this scripture. But let's go a little bit deeper. What is the beast from the sea? Well, the sea represents peoples. So this beast is a system that comes out of the world. It's a world-ruling system. Verse 11 then tells us about the second uh, character. And I beheld another beast. This one comes out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as the dragon. This is the second character. And he is the Antichrist. He comes from the earth. If you remember in Acts chapter 1... When they're trying to select a replacement for Judas, there is written a very strange um, commentary. They said he is gone back to his own place. Well, where is his own place? No doubt it is the earth. It comes, this beast comes up looking like a lamb, a counterfeit lamb. And he had two horns like a lamb, and, but he spake as the dragon. Revelation 16:13. Here we have all three of them now fully represented. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of, mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. You see, this is what's going to be realized. Satan is going to set up a, a, a trinity, a false trinity, to try and rule. Right now he's deceiving the world with a uh, representing God as a trinity, whereas we know that these are just aspects of his divinity and his revelation as father in creation, as the son in the, um, in the redemption, and as the Holy Spirit in the church. So what we will be fighting during the part of the tribulation for those who are here will be spirits. That's why it's going to be such a terrible time. At some point, the Bible says that the abyss is going to be open. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as scorpions of the earth have power. 
Now we know that this represents spirits because in Luke 10, 19, Jesus explicitly says so. He says, behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He's telling his disciples, yes, you went out there and you cast out these spirits and he's comparing them or liking them symbolically to serpents and scorpions so that we know when we come to Revelation and it speaks about the creatures coming out, that they are spirits and demons. In verse 20, he says, Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So we are on the verge of the beginning of all of this. We're on the verge of the beginning of all of this. We can see that the world is just filled with division. It, there is so much deception. People are, 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 are falling for all kinds of conspiracies. There are growing number of people who actually believe the earth is flat, if you can believe that. That tells you that something is already being let out of the abyss. The spirits of deception. You would think that there's no one who could believe that the earth is flat, but there are a growing number of people who actually believe that the earth is flat, despite what the Bible says. I read this psalm a couple of weeks ago, but I want to read it again because it's being fulfilled right before our eyes. Psalms 83, verse 1. Keep not thou silence, O God, hold not thou peace, And be not still, O God, for lo, thine enemies make a tumult, and they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. They have said, come, and let us cut them off from being a nation. This is in the charter of Hamas. That the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent, and they are confederate against thee, the tabernacles of Edom and Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagarenes, Gebel and Ammon, Amalek, the Philistines, which is where Gaza is, with the inhabitants of Tyre, which is where Lebanon is, Hamas, I'm sorry, Hezbollah, Asher, which is Syria, also is joined with them. They have helped the children of Lot. This scripture could be from the pages of the newspaper. So I've set the background of where we are and some of the things that are about to happen. I want to go to some of today's news. Today's news. This was in the newspapers on Sunday, I believe, when Turkey, the Turkish Turkish president, made a speech, and this is quotation says threatens war says our struggle is not only limited to our borders and of course if and when this happens because it's only a matter of when it will be a fulfillment of the beginning of that first war Ezekiel 28 sorry Ezekiel 38 1 is so precise and it gives the alignment of the nations that will participate And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, 
Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. What is this about? This is about a set of nations attacking Israel in the end times. Then it names some of the nations, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya, with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer, and all his bands, the house of Tagarma, of the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee. Now, we know those were the old ancient names for some of these nations. I'm going to show you a map which shows you the names of them, where those nations were roughly located today. And all of them are Muslim nations. And the Bible predicts in Ezekiel 38 and 39 what's going to happen. It predicts what's going to happen. So when you start to see this happening, then you'll know. Those are the modern names of some of these nations. Interestingly, it leaves out Egypt. But Persia, of course, is modern-day Iran, who is Israel's greatest enemy. Tubal, Meshech, is the area where Turkey, which is a Muslim country, Algeria, Libya, Kush, which is Sudan, which is a Muslim country, and some of the southern Slavic states, Gomer, where they are Muslim countries, Magog, which is Georgia and southern part of, of Russia. See, we're living at the beginning of this. We'll go into these wars next week in a little bit more detail because there are, there are three of them that are predicted. The first one is the war of Gog and Magog. And it's going to start somewhere around the beginning of the seven years of tribulation. I'm putting a chart up there which breaks it up into two halves. So... We know that at the beginning of the seven years is the opening of the seals and the seven trumpets are blown. Then we come to the last three and a half years, which is the bowl judgments or the bowls of wrath. And that comprises the seven years. But there are in this seven year period three major wars. One at the beginning, one at the middle, and one at the end. It's during the last three and a half years, I believe, is when the two witnesses preach. So let's look at this. It starts, as in Daniel 9, with the covenant. He shall make a covenant with the many, or a treaty. And it could be that that signals the end of the first war. Uh, the battle in the middle, I call it the battle of Shamayim because it's written about in Revelation 12 that there is war in heaven and Hebrew for heaven is Shamayim. The last battle 
is called Har-Mageddon, or the mountain of Megiddo. Har meaning mountain. The first battle is the battle of Magog. Now, as I've been teaching, the church ascends in the middle because Satan is wanting to ascend. But, of course, that's when he gets kicked out and we go up. Satan attempts his ascension, but Satan is cast down and possesses the body of sin. The Antichrist is revealed. And then, of course, the Bible says in Revelation, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because the devil hath come down, and he is full of wrath, because he knoweth he hath but a short three and a half years. So this war that is either beginning or about to begin precedes the covenant, but it's close to it. It's the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war, the battle of Gog and Magog. And we can see that Israel right now is trying to not precipitate a wider war, and yet all of the nations that were mentioned in Ezekiel 38 are threatening to attack. We will see if this develops into the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39. And next week we will go into a lot more detail about these three wars. It's interesting that it starts off, though, with a key. It says, I saw an angel with a key to the bottomless pit, and he opens it, and that lets out all of these demonic entities. Because in Matthew 28, when Jesus arrives, he says, I have the key. I have the key. So... The fact that the abyss is open is all under God's control. Let's read about this. He tells one of the churches that he has the key of David. Isaiah 22, verse 20. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. And I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle. And I will commit thy government into his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and into the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. And so he shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut. And none shall open. It's interesting that this key to the house of David is mentioned now again. It's not mentioned again until Revelation. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith the he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David. He that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. We'll come back to that because the mystery is finally going to be finished as revealed in Daniel chapter 7, starting at verse 9. And I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow and his hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like a fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. And a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him. 
And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. And I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast, this is what's going to happen, the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. I saw in the night visions... And behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days and brought him near before him. Now this is a a very mysterious passage to be in the Old Testament because the Jews do not believe Jesus was the Messiah. But here we have right in the Old Testament a picture of the Father and the Son. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom which shall not be destroyed. Now, I mentioned that the key was given so that the abyss could be opened. But you know, the key is going to be taken back. Revelation 9.1 And the fifth angel sounded, I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Revelation 21, the key has been taken back. And I saw an angel come down having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on that dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. We're going to end this here. Next week we will go into the three wars a little bit more detail. And we may see prophecy being fulfilled even before our very eyes. Bible says, look up, your redemption draweth nigh. The last verses in Revelation said that we are to, he's coming back for those who love his appearing. He can't come back soon enough for me. This world is not my home. As the song says, I'm just a passing through. Hallelujah. We're looking at prophecy being fulfilled before our very eyes. Make sure that you have the oil in the vessel and the lamp. Make sure that you have the mark that belongs to Jesus, not the mark that seals people to Satan. That you have repented of your sins. That you have been baptized in his name. And that you have been filled with the Spirit. Because if not... Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit. He says, first you cannot see, and then he says, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Some people don't like that. But I didn't say it. Jesus said it. He must be born again. Hallelujah. We're going to close this Bible study and we'll continue next week. But if you have an opportunity to come out to church, to worship to seek God, if you have not been baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, if you have not sought God for the infilling of the Spirit, it is still available. God bless you. Father, we just thank you tonight for your mercy and your grace as your word is being fulfilled. Lord, we know that we could be the generation to be living at your coming. Help us to be ready. Help us to be your disciples, not only in word, but in deed. To have the mark of your name written, hallelujah, through baptism. Hallelujah. To have our souls sealed through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We thank you right now for your greatness and your love. Hallelujah. And we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.